Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. To church to continue catching up. And let's be honest, it's one of the best parts of Anchor Southwest is catching up with all these beautiful people. I invite you, if you're able to, to stand as we read from the book of Mark 1, 32 to 39. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the mornings, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Adam, so much. Thank you, uh, James. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Now, I'm going to have a seat today, uh, not because I'm a rabbi or um, trying to bring back some old ways, but I just uh, had some surgery on Tuesday for my knee. Uh, I've been struggling for 12, 18 months or so with some uh, meniscus damage, and I was able to get in on Tuesday and get it taken care of. Um, And James uh, was going to preach in my stead, uh, but he had a really bad ear infection this this past uh, 7, 10 days and, and bust an eardrum. And so can't hear through one ear, and so we're, we're kind of feeling a little bit beat up. Um, but I'm excited to continue our series uh, here uh, today. Now, I may get up, but don't worry. Uh, it'll be the Spirit, and he'll... he'll <laughs> you know how I am. I move. I'm like, it's going to be very difficult for me to just sit here. Um, but we've been traveling along through this journey, and we're asking this question, um, how do we uh, begin to not only believe in Jesus, but begin to behave like him? Uh, that's an important question for us to ask, not, how, not how to, just how we cognitively believe in him, but how do our life, how does our habits, how do our patterns of living not only reflect his teaching, uh, but his being, right? How, how, how do we do what Jesus has called us to do? And the question has been one of formation, and we've established the fact early on, you can go back into earlier in the series, but we've established a fact, I hope, that we're all being formed. Every single one of us is being formed. Uh, Whether we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus or not, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not, doesn't matter your age, your uh, demographic, your your gender, doesn't matter where you are, we're all being formed into a particular kind of person. But we also learn this crucial fact that it's very possible to say that we follow Jesus with our words. It's very possible possible to say that we follow Jesus with our lips and, and actually mean it. Like it's not that you're you know, faking it until you make it. it. It's possible to really want to follow Jesus and still be formed by something that's contrary to his wills, his ways, and his desires. And so what we've been trying to do throughout this series is uh, we're trying to build into our lives new ways of not just 
thinking but of being. New ways that are actually not new at all. They're, they're ancient ways uh, for the Christian. And today, we're going to be looking at two sides of the coin. I know the slide said silence and solitude, uh, but we're actually combining um, uh, solitude and community today. Uh, and oftentimes, we see those things as uh, uh, not needing one another. Uh, but I want to argue today that they are uh, the two sides to one coin. Solitude and community, they work in tandem. They have a symbiotic relationship where if one falls or fails, the other will soon fall or fail. And today's going to be a little bit different, not only because I'm sitting, but we're uh, springboarding not so much off of the teaching of Jesus, not so much off of the words of Scripture, uh, but more we're going to be following the example of Jesus. We're going to be uh, looking behind the text in a sense and reading between the lines to see not only what Jesus teaches, uh, we're not going to be talking about casting out demons today, uh, but we're going to be looking at what Jesus does, what his pattern of living is. If we want to follow Jesus, we can't just... Uh, listen to what he says, but we must see what he does. Okay, we can't just listen to the, the teaching, the content of scripture. We need to see what it says and, and sort of how he lives his life. And the overwhelming majority of our teaching, of course, is going to come from the content of scripture. That is absolutely correct. It shouldn't just come from my ideas or just example. But we often fail to look at the pattern of scripture, of how Jesus lives his life, not just what Jesus says. And so we'll be looking at one of the early stories of Jesus and seeing what it has to teach us about the practice of both solitude and community. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you uh, for your grace. We thank you for enough health and energy to be here, Lord. I pray for those who may be away unwell, uh, and we ask that you would be with them. Uh, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful, and uh, Lord, bring to light uh, fresh things that are going to be helpful for your people. Um, more than anything, Lord, uh, I pray that those who may be far from you would be drawn near, uh, that your beauty, Jesus, would shine clear today, uh, that those who may, uh, Lord, be asleep to the gospel may wake up today uh, by your grace. Uh, we pray that we, and we know, uh, we pray because we know that this isn't up to us, Lord, uh, but this is your work. And so use us, we pray, and work despite us, we pray. Uh, and more than anything, uh, may your words, uh, let, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, Amen. in an effort to uh, boost productivity in the workplace, businesses began to administer personality tests in the 60s and 70s. And while um, the personality types uh, that we are so familiar with, this language was explored and popularized back in the 1920s by Carl Jung. Uh, it wasn't until the 40s uh, that, and you would know this, the Myers-Briggs type indicator came out. Like everyone is kind of aware of Myers-Briggs. And by the 60s and 70s, uh, Myers-Briggs MBTI was used widespread uh, to just help us understand ourselves a little better. Now, most of us know what Myers-Briggs are, but you know, there's other personality tests. There's the Enneagram, the Big Five, Discs Assessment, uh, Strengths find their 16 personalities online. I think our GC did one uh, uh, last year to kind of just figure uh, each other out. And on and on they go. And they're, they're basically uh, trying to help you understand yourself. 
Uh, and I thought there were about maybe 100 or so. It makes sense to me that there'd be 100 or so different kind of personality tests, but there are 2,500 different kinds of personality tests available. Now, I'm not here to tell you which ones are good, which ones are bad, which ones are useful or a waste of time. I just want to note this fact of how embedded in our language and in our thinking this has become. And even when you hear the words introverted or extroverted, they're commonplace today, and they're some of the most basic ways that we categorize ourselves and categorize others. And it's because of these kinds of personality tests. We expect introverts to be a certain way. We expect extroverts to act a certain way. Introverts are quiet. Extroverts are loud. Introverts don't like people. Extroverts do, right? Introverts are shy and extroverts are supposed to be bold, right? But let me just blow that up for you. I'm a raging introvert, right? I love to be alone and I think I'm pretty loud. I I hope I like people, and I I think sometimes the jury's out on whether I'm bold or not, Uh, uh, but this idea of being introverted or extroverted doesn't dictate how much or how little you like people. It just simply helps you understand how how, how to best recharge your emotional battery. So for instance, and I'm not teaching anything new here, but if you recharge your emotional battery by being with people, you're most likely an extrovert. If you recharge by pulling away and uh, uh, being by yourself, you're most likely an introvert. And this is why it's important for us this morning, is because when it comes to adopting habits and practices that will help us become more like Jesus, we can often resort to those practices that come most naturally to us and avoid the ones that don't. All while behind, uh, all the while what we do is we, we hide behind this uh, personality of our introversion or extroversion. So we don't, we don't do things because of what our personality is. And some practices for us will feel like we're swimming downstream. They're going to come really easy for you. Uh, other, uh, other practices will feel like you're swimming upstream. They're going to be very difficult for you to engage with. But the key is this that we must engage in both upstream and downstream practices because we desperately need both regardless of our personalities. I want to blow up the idea that we can hide behind our personalities and therefore we can do some things and not others that we're called to in Scripture. There are some clear practices that are going to spark joy in us. I mean, when you heard that we were preaching on solitude, some of you just lit up, right? And some of you died a little bit inside. And others, when we were preaching about community, oh, man, that's, that's my jam. And others were thinking, I cannot wait until the last song is finished so I can just leave. This is just the way some of us are wired. But if we're going to grow up into Christ, if we're going to become the kind of people that this world needs, that your family needs, that your spouse needs, your kids, your friends, your community desperately needs, people who image Jesus well. And I don't want to like, like skirt too quickly past that. Right? The whole purpose uh, for what we do is that we would learn to image Jesus well to our community and to those around us. And if we're going to do that well, then we need to learn how to be alone and we need to learn how to be with others well. And we see this rhythm of engagement and disengagement in the life and ministry of Jesus. We see Jesus often intensely engaged with others and then at other times pulling away to be alone with his father. We find this in one of the stories in Mark 1. Let me read it to you again. That evening at sundown, verse 32, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, rising early, verse 35, in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place there 
where, and there he prayed. And Simon, that is Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, I want, to think, I want to say that it's important to note that Mark did not write this text in order for the original hearers to learn about solitude and community. I want to state that at the front. This is not the intended teaching of the text, but I want us to pay attention to something really critical here, the example of the text rather than just the content. At this point in his ministry, Jesus had already begun to be known uh, for his authoritative teaching, his exorcisms, his miracles, and the crowds begin to flock. Jesus goes viral, right? And as you can imagine, while his fame skyrockets, his ability to spend time alone plummets. Right? All the paparazzi come to him because everyone wants to see this guy. Everyone wants to see Jesus. Everyone wants to be healed. Everyone wants a piece of this uh, mysterious figure who we, who we kind of know. We know his mom and dad. We know his brothers and sisters. But he's doing things that we were waiting for but we never thought we'd actually see. And what we see, if we're careful to read the text, is that Jesus knew this one central fact, that if he was going to fulfill the mission that God was sending him out to complete, the thing he needed the most was to spend intimate time with his father, intimate time with his father. He knew the principle or the pattern that we're exploring today well, which is this, that if we're going to flourish in and for the sake of community, we must learn to flourish in the secret place. If we're going to learn to flourish in and for the sake of community, then we must learn to flourish in the secret place. It's not one or the other based on your personality. It's one for the sake of the other. And while these practices may be informed by our personality type, solitude and community are absolutely necessary if we're going to be formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. Now, we're going to experience this in different ways. Some of us can do community really well. That comes easy to us. Some of us can do solitude really well. That comes easy to us. And now this seems like a classic uh, chicken and egg situation. Which comes first? Which precedes the other? Which gives life uh, uh, and sustains the other? And rather than drawing a hard and fast line of causality about which one comes first, I simply want to show us uh, how community and solitude must go together. And so my claim again is this, that if we're going to flourish in and for the sake of community, we must learn to flourish in the secret place. It's like trying to ride a bike with just one pedal. It's, soon enough, you're going to fall over. And for that to happen, I want to explore two things very, very briefly today. This is a homily, a reflection today, because I'm not standing up. It doesn't feel like I'm really preaching. Uh, but for us to do that, I want to first explore two things. How we're made for community and how we're made for the secret place. So very simple, how we're made for community and how we're made for the secret place. We're made for community. Now, that's easy enough for us to understand. I don't think that I need to labor too hard this morning to convince you of the fact. Genesis tells the story uh, that God creates all things good. Uh, and the first thing that wasn't good, this word tov in the book of Genesis, the very first thing in a good world that wasn't good was that Adam was alone. It was not tov. It was not good for the man to be alone. And the Lord God created creates woman out of man and brings her to him, and Adam sings. He says, flesh of my flesh 
and bone of my bone. We were made to be with others. This is why, this is why solitary confinement is such a great punishment, right? For some of us, we're like, man, put, put me away, right? Put me away. Like some of us loved COVID, right? Put me away. This is great. I would love solitary confinement. I can guarantee you that after a short while, you will suffer some great, great psychological damage after any extended period of solitary confinement, right? This is why Tom Hanks' best friend on an island was a, a volleyball called Wilson that he drew a face on. We need others. That's how we're wired. But we need others in the same way that we need water, right? You can, you can survive for about, about three days without water and die, but none of us here, I can guarantee you, none of us here is worried about where we're going to get our next drink of water. None of us, right? We, it's so abundant in our lives. I mean, we, we, none of us are worried, right? Most of us have water bottles, cool ones. And then there's a tap there that you know if you're thirsty, you can just go and get a drink of water. Like we, they're so, water is so necessary, and yet it is just so apparent that we hold it in contempt. We assume that we're going to have water. This is the way we treat community. We often assume community, and we don't realize the gift and the necessity that it actually is. And so often what can happen is that we can approach community and church in particular in three ways that are detrimental to the formation of a healthy, life-giving community. Three ways is this. The first one is that we treat community uh, like a shopping center. That's how we think about it. Uh, uh, last night, yesterday, I was at Miranda Shops, and uh, never again, uh, but I mean, I go there all the time, but I, just, I hate going. The parking is terrible. And I don't know how many people are there, like thousands, right? I can imagine thousands of people go to Miranda Shops every day. Uh, and so we have thousands of people together in one place. We were all there basically doing the same thing. We had one common goal, one mission. I took the kids shopping. I really took myself shopping, but I couldn't find what I wanted. So then I spent it on the kids. I couldn't find sneakers at the right price. Uh, and so we went there, we had lunch, uh, and we're all there, like thousands of people with one common goal in one place, right? It seems like a community because we're all together and we're all doing one thing. We're consuming. And so often this is how we treat community, and this is how we often treat church. We're all there to trade dollars for goods, and this is often how we treat this. We, we treat this to consume a product. Other times, we can treat community like a sports stadium. Again, you're with people. You're doing one thing. You're all there looking at, in the same direction to consume entertainment. And so some of us are there to consume uh, in community. Others are here to be entertained. And so often we can engage in community in that way, that as long as I'm entertained, I'll be around. Other times we treat community like a train carriage, right? You're still with people and you're all going in the same direction. And yet you don't know anyone on that train and you don't care to know anyone on that train. You've known, you know, you're on public transport. You're not trying to strike up any conversations. You're trying to make it real clear that your headphones are in and your book is out. Even when you see someone who you know, you put the book up, right? Because that's, that's your time. And so we often treat community in that way. We're all maybe going in the same direction, but we don't know one another. And whether we're simply looking to consume, whether we're simply looking to be entertained, whether we're simply looking to just get someplace else, the reality is that we treat community like it's all about us, like it's about me. Even the language that we use when we are looking for a church, what, what do we say? We're church shopping. What? What does that mean, your church shop, right? We, we treat it often as simply for our preferences. 
This is the age of me. This is the age of self, the placement of self at the very center um, and supreme. And each and every one of us, every single one of us in this room has drunk the Kool-Aid. Everyone. No one here has escaped. No one has escaped the deep ways that the story of the supreme self has embedded itself in our culture. No one. Another way to say this is that no one has escaped this idea of expressive individualism. No one. Not one of us. Expressive individualism is the first principle of our age. It is the, 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 the way that the world makes sense. It is the, the center, the logos. It's the basis of our morality. And it's the idea that, of, of this, that the individual, that you are supreme and you hold uh, the center of gravity. And this has infected and affected everything. The way we approach and think about everything has been infected and affected by this, especially community. And, and it's everywhere. It's in the songs we sing. It's in Ariana and Taylor to Disney to NBA marketing to the way that we approach church. It is everywhere, every single place. And the question is, how has this shaped us? How has this um, uh, uh, prevented us from entering into community well? The first thing is this. We believe the highest. And some of you believe, we, be, we believe the lie, the highest good is individual freedom, individual happiness, individual self-definition, and individual self-expression. And that is the highest good. And that was the conception of the That wherever people will receive me from the highest good, that is it. Wherever they mimic our individual freedom, that is it. moment that we live in, can you see why it is so incredibly difficult? Is it even possible to enter into any kind of true self-esteem? Because as soon as church gets you as the center, even while it highlights the highest good. If all we try to do, if all we ever try to do as a community is community, it's like doing arms and skipping leg day. And, and this, is, this is what we do. And you, you've seen them. Listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not having a go on anyone, right? I, I, do, I shouldn't skip any day at the gym. Uh, uh, but but you've, you've seen it, right? You've seen where we get swole up top but we have chicken legs, right? That, that, that happens. And, and so we do that.
by everyone. Apart from all of this, it was at that point that he was able to ascend to the one thing that is nec- absolutely necessary, which was to eventually abide in the presence of the Father. Now, what we need more than anything else is to wait upon the Lord. Wait. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to learn how to study the Scriptures. That's the content. But we, uh, that, that, that's a, um, that takes us to be productive about our life. It's not about spending time. It's about waiting time with God. We worry so much, don't we, about maximizing our quiet times, our devotionals. We spend so much time thinking about making sure we get the most out of it. We want to make sure that if we're going to invest in our relationship with God, we need to get our money's worth. At least we need to get our time's worth. But I suspect that there is something much more insidious going on here. One of the reasons why we may not engage in this practice of solitude is it goes much deeper than just uh, wanting to be Productive. It's not only that we're ignorant of the fact that we need this, and it's not only, uh, uh, um, it may not be the, the fact that we feel like we need to be productive. My suspicion is that below all of this, below all of this uh, noise and, 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 and inability for us to get away and be alone with Jesus is that we're afraid. We're deathly afraid of ourselves. Like, we're deathly afraid of what we're going to find when we shut off the noise. And if you've trained yourself, and if this is something that you're already doing or training yourself to do, you know what happens. You know the demons that rage, the voices that rage as soon as you turn off the noise. It was Blaise Pascal who said that all of humanity's problems stem, stem from humanity's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Our cultural context may drive us away from true community as we're trained to worship the self, but it's our own fear that sabotages the secret place. We're afraid of what we're going to find when we finally shut off the noise, when we stop the doom scrolling, when we stop trying to fill the void with noise and with stuff. We're scared to death of the demons that will come raging out at us once we cut ourselves off for even a moment from others. We're scared, listen, to find out who we really are. There is not one person in this room who isn't a little bit afraid of when we stop the performative spirituality, that we're not afraid of what is left behind. But we must enter, if we're going to be engaged in community well, we must enter into the place where we're fully known and fully seen, warts and all, by the one who calls us clean, by the one who calls us lovely. So many of us fail to enter and enjoy community because we're looking for others to do what only can be found in the solitude. Oftentimes, we will bail on community when it fails us because, not because it necessarily has failed us, and though, though it does, but not necessarily so. Oftentimes, we look to He can give us. Because community will fail you, but he won't. 
And yet community, this church is the gift that God has called us into to be formed into his image and likeness. And we're not perfect. We need this community. We need both the imperfect community of God's people and the perfect community that is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working mysteriously together to make life worth living. I'm almost done. Can everybody have a seat in the back? Thank you so much. I just want to give you a few just last encouragements here. Uh, Very simple questions that I want us to ask as we walk away from today. And it's this. What will it look like for you to move in this new direction with community? What will it look like for you to move towards others? What will it look like for you to carve out time? Remember, we we talk about finding time. You don't find time. We make time. What does it look like for you, whether this is an upstream practice for you or not, to carve out time to enter into the secret place with God? What does it look like for you to stop looking to others what only God can provide for you? How can this week you attend to God and his voice singularly this week as you spend time away from others, away from the noise? What will it look like for you to redeem the time to cultivate alone time with God this week? Now, I understand that we all have different schedules. Some of us are climbing up like, don't you know my schedule? I, more, I get it. I, trust me, we can talk about it. I get it. With all the variability in life and lifestyle in this room, we all still manage to eat about 21 or so meals a day. Some of us have 14 and coffee, right? But we all, we all manage uh, to eat. Now, I'm not judging your habits, good or bad, but in the same way that regardless of our differences of life and lifestyle and time, we all manage as human beings to consume fuel throughout the week because we need it. And maybe, maybe you fail to understand Maybe you just don't know. Maybe you're just not aware of how deeply you need to spend alone with God, of how deeply you need to be with God's people. And many, in many parts of our lives, I mean, if it, I, you know, sometimes I wish that we were like machines, right? Like you don't have to cook, you don't have to do dishes, you just plug in, fuel up, right? And a lot of times, I, I wish that because then we would know when we're running low. But for, for us, we, we, don't, we don't have that light in the car saying that your, your car is running on fumes. But many of us, we're running on fumes. If we were a car, that light would be on. It would be blinking, saying you need to get to that petrol station soon. In many parts of our lives, the get petrol light is on in the car, but we're pushing it with our tanks on E, running on spiritual fumes, running on grace from yesterday because we failed to enter into the secret place. But the scriptures promise us that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Why? Because our needs are new every morning. So regardless where you find yourself today, you may be in a season where you need to press more into community. Don't neglect that. You may be in a season right now where you need to press into solitude. Don't neglect that. And remember that Jesus is present in his body here in the community. And Jesus is present there in the secret place. He tells us this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, Jesus reminds us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We may find ourselves 
And I pray that we would find ourselves in the joyful presence of God's people. And I pray that we would find ourselves in the quiet solitude in the secret place with God. And listen, this, this is all free for us. I'm going to preach now. This is all free for us. But for us to be able to enter into this community, we charge nothing at the door. And there's no membership fee. But this community here is blood-bought. This, is, this was not free. Okay? Like, to, to be a part of the people of God is an absolute privilege. To be a part of the people of God is to stand in history and time saying that what Jesus has done on the cross has applied to me and to us. And that's why Diedrich Bonhoeffer will say in his book, Life Together, he'll say that uh, Christian community is not an ideal that we need to think up, but it is a reality. It is a gift that we get to enter into. And so as we think about community, it is a gift that we get to enter into. But additionally, solitude is also a gift that is blood bought. We're asked, and I'm, asking, I'm, I'm encouraging you to enter into the holy place boldly and and how can that be how can it be that we can be listen when you understand particularly the old testament when you see how difficult it was to actually enter into the presence of god you don't understand the privilege that i'm calling you to that jesus as he hung on the cross in the book of matthew there's this uh, retelling of the story of the temple now let me tell you a little bit about the temple the temple was a place where God dwelt with man, with humanity. And in the temple, there was this uh, room right in the middle called the Holy of Holies. And one man, the high priest, was able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Once a year, one man was able to go, the high priest. And as Jesus was there dying on the cross, and as he gave up his last breath, there was a curtain that separated all of humanity and the holy presence of God. And as Jesus gave up his last breath, as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he gave up his spirit, do you know what happened? That curtain was torn in two. And so you may hear my encouragement to enter into the secret place as just something else you need to do. But let me tell you, this was not free. And we, we treat it like running water because it's a gift. And so let me pray for us now. My prayer is this. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father. And we ask you that you would, you would instill in us while we think it costs us a bit to get out of our comfort zone, it costs us a bit to forgive others who sin against us, it costs us a bit to be a part of the people of God, it costs 